We hear at the CCR like three things. Cameras, films, and alcohol. Let's get tanked, people. Welcome to the Classic Camera Revival, coming to you from the Greater Toronto Hamilton region of Ontario, Canada. If you don't have gear acquisition syndrome now, you most likely will by the end of the episode. Okay, so we here at the CCR, we shoot a lot of different films, we shoot a lot of different cameras, and everyone around the table develops our own film. And we all have various different systems that we use. So in today's episode, we are going to be talking about everything from steel reels to automated processing and everything in between. So let's start with the original. Before plastics, before everything, there was steel and our own man of steel, John, still uses it. Yep, I'm I'm afraid that I left the cape at home and I definitely don't have leotards anymore. Um, I've, I apologize for the uh, for the visual. Yeah, I am a fan of steel reels, both for 120 and 135 or 35 millimeter. Um, it's it's funny. I'll start with 120. I used to have some Patterson stuff, and I hated trying to load 120 film on the uh, on the plastic reels because their flanges are just so small. So. For plastic, I'd use something like an AP tank, but then I got the uh, the steel, and I find with the center clip approach, uh, the steel reels load uh, very quickly. 35 millimeter is a bit of a different beast. Like there are two kinds of 35 millimeter reels. There's the kind where you have to use the little center clip. You press it down. It it's tricky with that, but there are also the ones that are made by Hughes, that's spelled H-E-W-E-S, or at least they were made by Hughes. I don't think they'd be made anymore. And they're great because they have two little prongs. If this were a video, you could see I'm sort of making the sign with my hand, but you'll just have to imagine it. Uh, they have two little prongs in the center that you can hook uh, the perforations onto. And I find that they are... Uh, and that's a much easier way for me to uh, to load 35 millimeter. And then for both 120 and 35, once you have the film uh, hooked on to the, the reel, then you're just cupping the film slightly and turning the reel in your other hand, and it just uh, it just feeds in. Um, a couple, and like I'm not going to make this a religious argument, you know, there's plastic, steel, it's, you really can't tell looking at the pictures uh, what you used. Um, historically, the steel reels were popular with, uh, like with, with the trade, with pros, for a couple of reasons. A, you, can, you use a bit less solution compared to some of the plastic uh, reels. But also, like plastic reels have to be bone dry um, and very, very clean in order for you to be able to load, load them properly. Whereas steel, you know, if you're in a situation where it's a high volume operation, you're developing a lot of film, um, steel reels, theoretically speaking, can be used wet. So you'd, and uh, they don't have to be quite as clean, but the main, the main thing was uh, that people liked, you know, not having to wait for them to, uh, to dry. They didn't really have the, the option. So again, I like them, but again, you know, if, if someone told me, okay, John, here's, here's a set of AP, you're switching back tomorrow, I'd say, fine, whatever. 
as long as it works. There are lots of things to argue about in film photography. Reels is not one of them. Definitely not. And as you said, you can't tell the difference between um, film developed in plastic and film developed in metal. And speaking of plastic, Bill Smith, our resident plastic fantastic expert here. I was going to say, hey, man, better living through plastics, but I think that was an old <laughs> line. Zero zeros. I was um, leveraging um, my local Henry's outlet, who in turn uh, sent my film off to a local or more like regional lab called Sylvanos. Now, of course, it was starting to get expensive, and I, I wound up at a, the Analog Photography Users uh, Group uh, annual conference, and one of the owners of Elevator Digital gifted me a bunch of darkroom stuff. And saying, you know, you could save a shit ton of money by doing it yourself. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, so I wound up with an AP tank, two AP reels, a, dark, a really cheap, cheap, cheap and cheerful dark changing bag. Um, and a bunch of other things unrelated to, well, of course, tanks. And, you know, it's sort of like you sacrifice a roll of film to learn how to roll load the reel, which I would suggest regardless what system you're running with. And it was like that sort of trepidation. And um, in the end, it was just like it was easy peasy. And later on, I, uh, when I got into medium format, I decided, okay, I'm keeping the AP for 120 and then I went to Patterson for 35 millimeter. Now Patterson has a storied history. It is a system. So you can buy tanks of different sizes. Like I think they even have a single reel tank for uh, for 35 mil. Uh, but the most popular one I think in their lineup is the one that takes two 35 millimeter sized reels or one 120. And then they, they've got like bigger ones if you've more prolific in your shooting and you stick with one emulsion or uh, and everything is kind of, is very interchangeable so all the reels work in all the tanks uh, you can even buy the re uh, replacement funnels and lids and even the little like agitator thingy that connects into the shaft underneath and, and that's the beauty of Patterson it is sort of if something wears out you can replace it and um and in terms of loading, Patterson 35 millimeter is pretty easy. 120, if you're clumsy, yes, there is a learning curve involved. Again, sacrifice of roll. Real cheap film or super duper expired that was left in the uh, trunk of an Impala in the Mojave Desert for a couple of years. Uh, and just you know, have one take, take it for the team, learn how to roll it. And generally, I have this rule of thumb, roll it while you're staring at someone and not looking down. So that way you can sort of load by touch because you are doing it in the dark room, changing bag, or in the downstairs powder room with a towel uh, rammed up to the crack underneath the door. So you've got the light tight environment. Now, in terms of processing with both AP and Patterson, it's pretty much the same. Uh, that take roughly the same amount of chemistry. And of course, yes, with either uh, reels, you got to clean them every once in a while. Uh, 
and that doesn't take much if you've got like a sort of a, a, a sort of a nail uh, sort of like a scrub brush for nails or something and some detergent you just do it once every month or a month and a half and you're fine or just do some uh, black and white reversal processing. That bleach cleans those reels nice. <laughs> <laughs> or there is a use for your old toothbrush. I think uh, uh, Bill mentioned a point I think that I didn't that's very important, that if you're doing this for the first time, get a sacrificial lamb, whether it's roll, whether it's 120, 35. Practice, practice, practice. Because if you think that like, you have to be able to do it with your eyes closed, literally, because you might think you're ready, but then you're in the dark room, your hands in the dark bag, and if you're not practiced, a little thing called the film sweats will appear. Oh, the film sweats. So, so I I feel really terrible because my sacrificial roll of uh, 120 film for learning how to load uh, Patterson reels, APX 25 and 120. Ah. I, I didn't and know, John is having convulsions I didn't as know we what speak. I had at the time and I was like why would I ever shoot an <laughs> ASA 25 film well for those that are new to rolling 120 on Patterson rolls what I like to do is uh, I pull the film off the entire spool hmm. and then I roll from the um, where they have the little attachment tab the tape end. the tape and yeah. I, I tear that off and I fold the tape end over so it's stiffer and then I load the reels from that end. Yep. When I'm loading just one roll of 120. I've I've done that too, especially if the uh, edges get sort of uh, twisted or um, sort of crimped. Yeah. It does take a it does take a extra little bit of effort in. Yeah. And especially if you're doing a uh, rolling a polyester base film as opposed to an acetate oh, base. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It can be a real pain in the ass. So like if you're doing any of the roll eye films and things like that, highly recommend. Tape, pull it off the backing paper entirely, fold the attachment tab or tape or whatever over so it really stiffens up the uh, film and load that end in first. It'll yeah. just, and, you'll thank yourself. And if you are doing 35 millimeter, um, when you rewind your film, make sure that that tail is left out or use a um, tail retriever. Pull it out, clip off the, um, clip off the um, tipped end, cut it flush, and then cut the uh, cut the corners yeah kind of like a sheet of paper from the reimagined Battlestar Galactica mm. and it just goes in nice well and easy. speaking of polyester based films not I know some people out there have complained about oh yeah Japan camera hunter street pan 400s a pain to load retro 400s from Rolly and it was a pain I've never had issues with that the one polyester based film is smevma and I know Sema 200. Oh, all the Smevs. <coughs> 100 is easy. 400 is easy. Um, 200 also. Um, uh, film washi um, D. It's like this this polyester base. I've seen tissue paper with more backbone. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like I mean, this napkin has backbone that I have before me. I. I, I remember talking. we had this sort of, I think, a previous classic camera revival episode somewhere deep in the archives where I had to shoot this roll of Sema. I ran it through my F3. I got stuck halfway through loading it and got to the point I just yanked it out of the dark bag and tossed it across the room in frustration. <laughs> Done that. And it was just sort of like when it came up, I did not have any images. I could not load the, t the reel. And, you know, and... It, 
you're going to wind up in the situation and even loading something on a steel rail might be a pain in the butt, but you just don't know until your hands are in the dark. Well, let's face it. It's analog photography. Everything has an ounce or two or four or six or eight or 12 or 32 uh, ounces of pain in the ass factor. Yes. Mm-hmm. Keeps you humble. That's definitely exactly. what it does. Um, so from steel to plastic to premium and um to premium plastic premium plastic oh yes and that would be jobo jobo or yobo i believe the uh, correct pronunciation is yobo or you could also use yobro i am broke because i just bought some jobo or yobo and because that shit is expensive Okay, so Yobo. Why buy a Yobo or Jobo system? Well, if you shoot color and you want to have a little bit of precision around your temperature control uh, and a little bit of control and precision around your your agitation, well, I shouldn't really call it ag- I guess it is agitation, but it's automated agitation. Um, <clears throat> I will use Jobo from now on uh, because that's what I'm used to, to saying. Um, a Jobo machine is uh, something that will uh, will help you do that. Now, I wouldn't recommend a Jobo uh, system for anybody that is not shooting color, and that would be either C41 or E6. The only reason to buy one of these things is because you do go through a fairly significant volume of, of color processing. Um, aside from doing film processing, uh, your Jobo system can also do color print processing for you and also do um, black and white print processing, of course, as well, too. So. Um, why a Jobo system? So, or, or what is it exactly? So, you know, some of this might be a little bit remedial for some of the more experienced folks um, that have been shooting film for a while. But essentially, it's an automated temperature-controlled uh, processing system that has its own temperature and he- uh, controlled heating element uh, and water bath uh, and drum uh, rotation mechanism, if you will, chemical storage, tempering, sort of the whole thing all in one machine. Uh, they have various models of them. The latest one came out in, in 2016, and it's the CPE-3. Um, it's a bit of a smaller machine compared to the CPP-2, which is the machine that I use. And they've had different machines um, over the years. Um, <coughs> Yo- Jobo is a bit of a, sort of a mystery um, organization uh, wh- as to whether or not they're still in business or you know what kind of business they're still in there's still a jobo out uh, website out there called jobo analog photography uh, jobo.com and they do sell machines on there but it certainly um wasn't like what it was like you know in the early in the uh 2000s and and uh, 1990s and of course before then as well when you know film was sort of in its heyday um you can still buy some uh jobo equipment I honestly don't know whether or not the equipment itself is new and being produced anymore if or if it's just refurbed or if it's you know being custom put together as people are ordering it um, uh, there's um, uh, cat labs in the US who is the North American distributor of Jobo products that you can get parts and things from but let me warn you um, when you get into the Jobo system and you need a part it can get very very expensive to find replacement parts because they're no longer manufactured Uh, and with limited distribution there are certainly um, 
uh, not very much competition on price. So I recommend um, if you are getting into a Jobo system and it does need repairs, and it will need repairs, there's lots of things to go wrong. Um, it's all old printed circuitry like transistors and old resistors and things like that. If you know somebody um, that you know has an oscilloscope and is good with electronics, make friends with that person get them to look at it and check those components or just learn how to do it yourself or learn how to do it yourself because you know i I will i will say and this is not meant to be a criticism against cat labs at all but just based on availability i needed a new um uh resistor uh terminal to control the speed of my uh rotation which would be essentially a you know less than five dollar part i paid over 120 dollars us because I didn't know the specs of the part until I got a new one because the one was totally the, the, on my machine was totally corroded and destroyed and I couldn't read what the, what resistance I needed on it um, only to find out after I received it um, you know I paid $120 plus $30 shipping for like a less than $5 part so yeah I mean Son of a bitch. you know needless to say <laughs> Whoa. Um, and nothing against cat labs but cat labs I will never be ordering anything from you again uh, definitely not. Uh, you know, not for that kind of. Uh, you know, I get it. I get the. I get it that it's rare, um, and you know, this is in no means meant to slag off on them. But you know, uh, I'm sorry. You're not gonna. You know, you're gonna overcharge me that kind of markup. Now, would the manuals have sort of the circuit diagrams? Yes, um, and they do. And you know, frankly, a lot of it was due to my own not understanding what I was looking for and, and knowing where to look. You know, and of course, you know, hindsight being twenty twenty, um, absolutely. You know, it is it, it is what it is, and again, it's no criticism. They're a business, and they can choose to do what they want. But me, as a consumer, can choose to do what I want. And I get that. You know, hey, if you possess the knowledge, um, you know, it's like the old adage. You know, there's a, there's an operations manager uh, who's running a, a massive production line, and you know, his line breaks. He calls in a repair guy. And the repair guy says, yeah, okay, I can fix this. You know, he turns a screw and two minutes later, everything is, is tickety-boo and running and the bill that he gets is $10,000. And then the operations manager says, well, can you give me an itemized breakdown for this $10,000? He says, yep, yeah, sure. Yeah, tightening screw, $1. Knowing which screw to tighten, $9,999. Yeah, you know, so exactly. I, yeah. So I, I get that, but you know, I mean, I'll be honest. It left it left a bit of a bad taste in my mouth. So you know, frankly, I'll you know, I'm disappointed, and I won't be ordering from them again. Um, but you know, such is life. But I'm not in any way recommending that if you're happy with any company, Cat Labs, whoever, that that's great. Um, you know, Omer is a very very nice guy in my oh, in my experience, definitely. and I have nothing against him. I you know that experience just left a bad taste in my mouth. But anyways, before I digress any further, um, if you shoot film, Jobo is is a really good um, uh, thing to get. Uh, if you're going to go out and buy a, a used one on eBay or the used market or whatever, um, you know things that go wrong are the pumps, uh, the heating element. Uh, the <laughs> pretty much everything, uh, but the, the 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 pump and the heating element are the first things that, that go wrong. What I will recommend that you do is, is a lot of times people don't realize that, that there is a breaker on the side, a little pinhole on the side of the of the processing head, um, and there's a circuit breaker, and that's the heating element circuit breaker. And a lot of times that pops, and people don't know. So push that in, and and if you've got a dead heating element Jobo, push that in. 
you might not have a dead heating element jobo so you just save yourself a ton of money there so what you're saying mr lee is a jobo processor bought used it's equivalent of uh a barn fine Porsche 911 from 1966. If you could get one that works, and I was lucky, I, I had uh, was able to. Well, I, I mine's a Frankenstein basically. It, it it's a product of three different Jobos that I had bought over the years, and I was fortunate to buy um, to get a, a Jobo. Um, I think it was a CP3 uh, from Stephen Lederman, who's a friend of the uh, podcast and a member of the Toronto uh, Film Shooters, and he sold me a really good one that I used components of and put together my CPP2, which is a bit of a larger capacity um, setup and everything. And it works It works great. Um, I've got lots of spare parts for mine. Um, you know, I kind of know what to look for now when things break. I've managed to acquire a little bit of electronics knowledge or 90s era electronics knowledge. Um, but that said, uh, you know, they come, in di- they come with different um, tank sizes. There's a 1500 series. There's a 2500 series, and then there's the expert series. And the expert tanks, these are the tanks that you can put 4x5, 5x7, and 8x10 um, sheet film in. Super, super easy. They have other um, 4x5 and 5x7 sheet film um, uh, reels, if you will, and mm-hmm. and um, little installation machines. I have one of those for 4x5. I bought some the Chinese knockoff of the reels that saved me probably about two three hundred dollars um so if you can find knockoff jobo reels they're just as good as the branded thing i have i have actually a genuine jobo tank with the four by five inset yeah and i thought i had gotten rid of it Mm -hmm. and i was looking for something completely different and i ended up finding it again so I'm actually really glad that I still have that because again it cost me an arm oh, and yeah. a leg. Oh yeah, they're they're really the stuff is so expensive. The tank, the insert that takes yep. six four by five sheets, and I ordered from Cat Labs, and yep. it was like I paid the money, <coughs> yep. nothing for about two months, yeah. and finally I said, "What's up here?" Like. You got your money. Yeah, where's like, my stuff? Where's my stuff? Mm-hmm. He's like, "Oh yeah, sorry, I was on vacation." Yeah, it, it can it can be hit and miss, and like I don't like to slag off any business. Um, I you know every business has their struggles and stuff like that. And I will say too, you know, despite me paying you know a nine hundred percent markup, a Jobo like one of those Jobo four by five tanks is like seven hundred euro. Like it's mm-hmm. nuts. Like it just makes no sense. Like I mean, I, and to I don't their know. credit, he refunded the shipping. Oh, good. Yeah, and like like so. I said, he's a good guy in my in my experience. I know others don't have more negative things to say but i'm not that's none of my business and i'm not getting into that but i've had a good experience with omer and um you know i hope to continue that but uh, you know at this point uh i'm hoping i don't have to ever order a jumbo replacement part again um so that said too uh, the the tanks um have two heads so they have interchangeable lids basically so you can use a jobo as a hand hand tank similar as to how you would use a patterson system um the reels are slightly different than patterson so patterson has that ball bearing lock uh, in their reels um and jobo does not so with when you when you spool up film on a jobo reel you actually have to use your thumb and get into a bit of a rhythm so you're actually um when you're when you're using the ratcheting action of the of the spool you actually have to when you ratchet it back you have to hold the film down so the film doesn't unwind so you know it's kind of like 
forward, lift your thumb up, go back, press down, go forward, lift your thumb up, roll back. It's it, it you. It's not difficult. It sounds more difficult, but once you get into it, it's pretty pretty straightforward. It's it's all about muscle memory. Yeah, exactly. And look, hey, uh, you know, being an, a dinosaur and in, in, in shooting film, I've rolled so much film in my life that like it's second nature to me. I, I could you know, yeah, exactly. It, it's not a big deal. It's, um, it's drill. Yeah, it's drill essentially. But you will you will get the film sweats with a, with Jobo, and I would also recommend for those of you that don't have a complete dark room to load film outside of a bag. Um, I have moved away from the uh, black bag. Um, I use a black bag like if I need to be portable and I'm out in the field and I'm shooting say IR or something like that, and I need a black bag, it's easier to carry. Um, <clears throat> But I use what it's a pop-up black bag essentially. A tent. A tent. Yeah. yeah. And and I, I bought mine from B and H. It's called uh, the dark room or something like that, like the dark room bag mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. And it's a pop-up square thing, and it's great for um, loading film on on spools. But more importantly, if you shoot sheet film, it's it's terrific. Oh yeah, especially um, if you're shooting anything bigger than four by five. Yeah, absolutely. And if you if you don't. Um, uh, want to go out in spring for that and you have a black bag uh, find yourself um, I don't know if you uh, people have seen these things before but they're like little um, li- like racks that you can buy for your refrigerator um, that you can put on a rack and then it creates another shelf sort of thing so it, it, it's almost like in an interior tent peg or tent pole thing slide that inside your dark bag and it holds the dark bag up definitely helps reduce the film sweats uh, yeah definitely helps reduce reduce the film sweats keeps the bag off your hands you can feel, feel things a little better like i said if you're a film shooter um a co- sorry a color film shooter definitely think about a jobo um I'm very, very happy with mine, despite all of the expense that goes around it. But once you get the thing up and running, and you take care of it, you maintain it properly, uh, your consistency for color processing is un- unbeatable. And probably even black and white also, especially oh, yeah. if you're shooting volume, like large quantities of 4x5 or yeah. 35 or 120. It's great for tempering chemicals. and I mean, yeah. you don't even necessarily need to process your film in it, but you can if you want consistency. And certainly you'll have to look up, you know, film processing for <coughs> continuous drum uh, development and things like yeah, that. Usually the starting point is about uh, 15% yeah, reduction. Yeah, generally, yeah. yeah. Um, certainly, you know, and of course, you'd have to be shooting scenes where you know you don't need extended development time, mm. or you want, you know, you you want that longer, you know, uh, development time because you know for whatever whatever reason you're trying to do whatever whatever reason you have, um, you know, you want highly dilute, you want to increase the the, the solvency or the the, the um, dilution of your developer so you're going to go like with a stand development or something like that um you know jobo is obviously not for you but for all cases outside of that it's pretty damn good Mm -hmm. and if you um if you are a little scared off by uh, jobo there are alternatives to rotary processing um uh the first one is the aura processor now that one was done through a kickstarter campaign the people who backed it on Kickstarters received their um, Aura processors. Unfortunately, they're not actually for sale outside of that yet. Don't know what's going on here. Um, good friend of the podcast, Matt Betchberger, the uh, gentleman behind Raveni Labs, 
loaned me his and it was amazing so this is a device that uses a raspberry pi as sort of the um the cpu <laughs> yeah pi um the uh, cpu for this and the best part about it is that it's a universal base so if you have a patterson system or a jobo tank you can actually put this onto the roller base and you can do um, sort of a pulse mode where it would do rotations like constant rotations every 30 seconds and then it would do it slowly to kind of indicate sort of the sitting around in between each there's a built-in timer it also has constant rotation where it will roll it in just one position one where it will roll it in one um one way and then spin it the other way and you can actually adjust the rpm so if you need to do like a slow rotation you can slow it down if you want to have a fast rotation you can do it that way and i really liked it the trouble is is that it's built to a very high spec so the kickstarter was out of my price range when it came across my desk so I never backed it. So I was very happy when I actually got to try it out. And I posted a video review of it and I really, really liked it. But again, this thing went nowhere. They fulfilled their Kickstarter and then nothing. And I get it. It's difficult to get those sorts of components, especially these days. So one of the folks on the Negative Positives um, podcast group on Facebook suggested um, the B's processor, and that's B apostrophe S processor. A little less advanced. Um, it uses an Arduino controller. Um, there's no screen. You got three modes. You got a pulsed constant rotation where it would sort of like sort of, I can't really <laughs> I can't really explain it without showing it um, it rotates quickly and then slows down it rotates quickly slows down and then reverses it has a slow constant rotation where it goes slowly in one direction and then reverses and then a fast rotation where it spins really fast slows down and then spins it in the other direction no screen no nothing and again it's universal and it actually uses an external magnetic sensor that you can attach to any <coughs> any sort of tank. It doesn't work with steel tanks, unfortunately, because, you know, magnets, metal, it would mess the whole thing up. But you can put um, a Jobo 1500 series on it. You can put a Patterson system on it. And you kind of keep it in place with rubber bands. And these magnetic sensors, you can take it off and put it onto another one. And the best part is it is being made on a monthly basis where you can just put in an order and if there's stock available, it just ships, it comes out of Pennsylvania and it's affordable. I think it cost me like $180 Canadian shipped. So it has really changed how I process films. And the best part is, is that the gentleman behind it has done a lot of testing on it you can use your full a full tank of chemicals such as a, um, a 500 mil or one liter tank of patterson 
And if you use it on pulse mode, you just have to reduce your times by 5%. If you're filling it up only halfway, so like 500 mils for the one liter tank or uh, 250 for the 500 mil tanks, you actually have to increase the times. Um, or if you just use it on constant rotation, you just use gobo times essentially. And it really brings the ability to do that constant rotation, which films like uh, P30 and color processing um, does. The only trouble is, is that with uh, your color processing, once you get to that Blix stage, you really need a second lid for your um, for your Patterson tank because you need to drill out a uh, off-gassing hole. Oh, God. yeah, or the little pop-off. Or it will just pop off and chemistry will go ever, everywhere and you will be cleaning the kitchen. Yeah, that's, I guess, the Jobo has an advantage there with its rotating lid. There's exactly. It and it's vented. That's yeah, right. I, I forgot to mention, too, when I was talking about Jobo, and it's the same thing with this processor as well. The, the advantage of rotary processors is the chemical usage is cut down by almost 60%, if not more. Yep, exactly. So it just it makes... A little more affordable and again this is a modern setup it uses off-the-shelf parts and if they're the firmware update both have a um, mini USB connector that you can just plug into any computer and I've tested the aura and the bees processor on both Windows 10 and Windows 11 and Mac OS and it connects just fine cool so, so yeah, that that about covers it for uh, this episode. Hopefully it's given you um, a few different options if you want to change out or get into film processing. It is both humbling, frustrating, but super um, enjoyable at the same time, being able to have that control over your process from your film choice, your lens choice, your camera choice, your chemistry choice, your film choice, it just makes it so much easier, especially if you're doing a lot of work with um, under and over exposure. You don't have to pay extra. You really don't have to wait either. Um, you can shoot a roll, bring it home, process it, even scan it the same day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's so convenient. It takes a lot of the uh, messy work out of the equation. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you'll you'll pay for that initial investment, but well, over yeah. time you'll save money. Yeah. Look, there's a lot of chatter about film photography being expensive. Well, I mean, yeah. What were you guys thinking? It's an outdated medium, frankly, and I mean, you can email and call all you want, but I mean, if you're honest with yourself, it's of course it's outdated. It's vintage. That's why mm -hmm. we do it. Because if it was if it wasn't, it likely wouldn't be perceived quite as a cool thing as it is so definitely um yeah so i mean you just got i think you just got to embrace the fact that hey this shit costs money and you know for most of us it's a hobby um you know for those of us that are in business and, and film is centric to your business well i hope you're passing the cost of doing business on to your customers and mm -hmm. making a profit as you should as a business person but as a hobby it's expensive accept it move on well, enjoy I look at it from this angle. Our hobby is way cheaper than owning and restoring a vintage Porsche 911. Yeah. Look at it from that angle. And also, you know, you save money. This is an upfront investment. Now, again, most people are probably going to wind up with a variation of an AP or Patterson tank 
or maybe a lab box, or maybe mm. which we haven't talked about. Or if they got more money, they know what to do with. Okay, Yobo. Or there's another one out there floating around. I can't don't know the name offhand, but it's about four or five thousand dollars just to buy in. Uh, but the reality yeah, is, what are you spending every time you go to the your local camera store to get a roll of film processed and black and white? You're waiting a couple yeah. days more because it's not going through the Noritsu. It's yeah. being hand done. I, I look at it this way. Look, it. you know what? It, if the price is at a point where you're not having fun doing it anymore, stop complaining and stop shooting it. Mm, you yeah. know, or stop complaining and keep shooting it. Like, you know, it. it it's just, you and know. You, you got to remember the best way to make a million dollars shooting film is to start with two million. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You got it. Or find out what the depreciation is on your uh, full-frame pro you digital body. In the film photography world, do what I do. Hoard all the film for 10 years and then start selling it. <laughs> that works, too. <laughs> and where is the climate-controlled refrigerated container there, Mr. Lee? <laughs> I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. But you're the one tied up in the chair. <laughs> not, the chor- not the Chinese water torture. Well, that about wraps it up uh, for this episode. My name's Alex Lokes. Remember, get tanked after you process your film because you're either celebrating a success or dulling the emotions from a failure. <laughs> hey, this is James Lee. Um, you know what? Uh, if you uh, think the price of film photography sucks, hey, at least you can just go get drunk. Hey, this is Bill Smith. Um, don't confuse your Corona for stop, uh, for stop fix. Just saying. Probably all it's good for. This is John Meadows. Loading a film tank is like sex. Muscle memory and practice till you're good in the dark. <laughs> uh, I also heard urine makes a good stop bath as well. <laughs>